Hello, this is Chris. And this is Andrew, and welcome back once again to another episode of Video Games Cover to Cover as we continue talking about the Final Fantasy VII Remake. This is episode 50, or part 7, I believe, of Final Fantasy VII. Last time we stopped off, we had just gotten the dress and we were just about to head to Don Corneo. Yeah. The, the I guess one of the questions I have for you is, did you go back, s- since you had mentioned that you were upset that you didn't get to see uh, the dance and everything, did you go back and uh, look at like a video or something of it? Uh, I haven't yet, no. I figured what I would probably do is, like since you had talked about, apparently you get like a ch- chapter selecting and, and can go wherever, I'll probably just watch it then. Ah, uh, okay. I, I I will say that was real. That was just a really fun section in general. That the doing the dance and everything. It was just, it was a lot more fun than I had expected out of that section. Yeah, same here. And, and I think one of my favorite parts is when Cloud leaves. Again, this is one of those things where you control Aerith, and you see all those people come out, and then Cloud is just like bolting as fast as he can in the dress. Which is extremely slowly because he can't walk very fast in the dress. And Aerith, you have an opportunity to talk to him. She's like, Cloud? He just keeps walking. Cloud, where are you going? He just keeps walking until he gets to this little corner section. And he's just standing there looking at a door. And and Aerith goes, Cloud? Not a word. Not even one. (laughs) I love Aerith. It was so funny. And that's the thing. Her her personality is just I, I, I really think they nailed it because she's she feels just so alive. Not that the other ones don't. Her 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 She's enjoying herself in a way that nobody else is. Exactly. And and I think that that's really important, especially giving everything that's going on around us. I don't want to say like bubbly or aloof because that doesn't really I don't think I'm pretty sure she knows exactly what's going on and she knows exactly what she's doing. She's just having fun with life. Yeah. So then you, uh, the first thing I did is I, I kind of searched the town. We had mentioned that before. Like we talked to Chadley. I went over and I talked to the squat people and they were like, nice. Probably don't want to do squats right now, but hey, anytime you want to come back and do squats, <laughs> like we're always here. Okay, man, I got the championship belt. Unless you got something else to offer me, I am never coming back here because I just don't need to do it again. I am good to go on the squat situation. Yeah. You know, I, I honestly, I feel like I should get a prize if, if I'm able to do squats in this dress. And uh, so then you walk back and you, you get to Corneo's. Leslie is standing there again. and. Once again, he is very adamant about, I cannot believe you're back. I don't know why you would want this. What are you doing? And both of them insist, hey, we've got the letters. We like we're in here. There's really we're doing it. You don't really have a choice. Okay, I guess. And he just kind of takes you back into he, he tells you, go inside, go up around the corner and, you know, go in the room. You don't just immediately find yourself going down into the dungeon like you did last time. This time, it's way more ominous. They put you in a room, they gas chamber you, and then yeah. they 
they start to grab you to take you into the dungeon area or whatever. And one's like immediately it just pushes the other one away. He's like, those are Corneo's girls. If you put a mark on him, he's going to put a mark on you. Yeah, I know. As if the, you know, the situation in the original wasn't like creepy and skeevy enough. They just had to like really double down on it to make sure that you understood that these are bad people as if that wasn't extremely clear already. (laughs) Yeah. As much as they've extended everything else in the game, I'm not surprised. But the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm just like, cringe, 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 cringe. Then you get down in the dungeon. And Andrew, I have to say, easily one of my top five lines in the entire game. Easily is right here. I think I can guess exactly what it is. You wake up and and you see Tifa and Cloud's immediate response is, Tifa, how, how are you doing? Um, good, I guess. Do I know you? And you you kind of start to ask her uh, again, like, how are you doing? What have you been doing? And then she quickly comes to the realization that you are Cloud. And she's she just goes, Cloud, that hair, the makeup. Yes, nailed it. I know. Moving on. I loved that line. I was so happy. I'm like. Yes, you did, Cloud. You absolutely nailed it. Well, in this case, Andrea Rodeo nailed it. And his and his squad, yeah. But you're wearing it very well. And I I loved that line. It was so, so awesome. You kind of talk back and forth with Tifa a little bit. I made sure that when Cloud came to and I had the opportunity to, to go to Tifa first and have her show me the dress and everything like that. Because, Andrew, I don't know. If there's some secret love metric in this game, considering every other Final Fantasy has a secret love metric, I have to assume that there is. You know, you keep saying that, but there's literally only one other one that does. (laughs) It just happens to be the one you've played. What are you talking about? There was a secret love metric in in the original Final Fantasy VII. Okay, yes. And Final Fantasy Fantasy X, so that's two examples of a secret love metric. Okay, but I wasn't counting... The original Final Fantasy VII, because it's the one we're talking about. But yeah, like seven and ten are like the only ones that did that, and you constantly are like every Final Fantasy does it. No, they don't. Oh well, I, you say. know, I'm so sorry. I'm I'm gonna. I, I don't necessarily believe you. I'm gonna look that up and find out for sure if there's a secret love metric in other Final Fantasies. Since you seem to be the expert on everything that's ever existed for Final Fantasy, I have played all of them, so I'm at least somewhat familiar with the whole series. Yes. You didn't even know that there was a secret love metric in Final Fantasy X. So I'm sorry, man. You are not. That is not true. I absolutely knew that. I just didn't know all the things that affected. Oh, okay. Like, I didn't know that you could have that conversation with Riku because I didn't realize that was one of the things that could happen. I knew there was an affection metric. Sure you did. I'm sure that there's some sort of affectric metric. Affectric metric. <laughs> affection metric in here. And you know what? I'm always going to choose Tifa anyway. Because, yeah, I like Aerith, and yeah, she's fun, but here's the thing. I got to make sure my girl is good. I, I I will say, of the two dresses, Aerith definitely nailed it versus Tifa, but when, when I chose Sporty as an option, I never expected her to, to bust out full-on Chun-Li, and I have to say I'm not disappointed. Although I'm, I'm sure I've mentioned that again. I, I just, I can't, I, was say, I can't help but multiple gush. Multiple times, I think. Yeah. I can't help but gush all over Tifa. You know, my, 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 my affection for Tifa uh, 
it is rapidly overwhelming my hatred for Shinra. I'm not sure why it would overwhelm it, because, I mean, it is technically possible for a person to feel multiple emotions at the same time. Just throwing that out there. You don't, you're not understanding, Andrew. I, I have a metric for how much I hate Shinra. And my metric for my affections towards Tifa is quickly outweighing. My, my affection meter is becoming higher and higher with every minute of gameplay for, for Tifa. And the hatred for Shinra has stayed relatively stagnant because Shinra, from, from the very first bomb to the second bomb, has basically stayed like at a status zero of... I, I, I super hate you. Like, I don't really know where to, to go from there. I already super hate them. But, but Tifa is constantly giving me reasons for my affection meter to go up. I have a secret okay. affection meter. That is I don't applied. think it's secret because you talk about it constantly. You know, Andrew, I, I enjoy I'm the game. I, I'm so sorry that, you know, I... I'm just saying calling it a secret meter isn't really accurate because you talk about it a lot. It's not very secret at that point. You know, I I thought the whole point of this podcast was to tell people about the game and what our feelings are. I'm so yes. sorry that I'm sharing my opinions with everybody. I'm n- I don't all worry. I said was it's not a secret. That's all I said. Do not worry, Andrew. I will never bring it up again. This is the very last time. We both know that's not true. And again, I don't care how you feel. I'm just saying it's not a very good secret. So what are your feelings, you Andrew? What did you feel here? Let's talk about your thoughts. I mean, mostly in this section, I was primarily focused on how, again, like they double, triple downed on how skeevy the whole scenario was, which, to be fair, is not wrong. It was extremely skeevy the first time. It was a little, I don't want to say over the top, but like they really drilled it home in a way that I think the point was well made before, especially with literally everyone constantly telling you how terrible of an idea this is and stuff. Like, I think we got the idea. I mean, I don't disagree that both women looked fantastic in their dresses. I still haven't seen the other Aerith dresses because I didn't go and look that up, but I have seen the other Tifa dresses, and I do agree with you, and I think I mentioned this last time, that the one we picked, the sporty one, is my favorite of the designs. I see. So you focus more on the negatives of this section uh, than the positives. I will note that for the future. I... What? <laughs> what do you, you you said that you were more concerned with the cringiness and their tripling down on the skeeviness of the I mean, situation than you were with being reunited with your childhood friend. Whereas I was focused more on finally being reunited with my childhood friend, knowing that everything's going to be okay because the three of us are finally together and we're ready to kick butt and take one name, which is Don Corneo. That's what I was focused on. I see. Gotcha. You can buy his song because, of course, you can. There's a, I buy every song. There's a random thing where you can buy a song everywhere or sometimes just get it for free. Yeah, every time there's a song, I buy it just because, like, why not? They're always only, like, 50 gil, so. I did think it was funny that his private vending machine was just him. Yes, it just looks like him, which is really funny because... That's basically the only one that's deviated like at all. And so they made a custom design just for this one room. Outside of that, there really wasn't a whole lot that was going on because as soon as Tifa wakes up, well, as soon as Cloud and, and Aerith both wake up, they it, they basically say, hey, get up here. It's time for the thing. And you walk out of the dungeon 
and you get up there, and and like we said last week, Corneo chose Cloud for me, and I yeah, believe that same, same thing happened to you. I wonder if it more has to do with the skeevy line of "I can't wait to break you in" or something like that. Because I mean, I I got the impression that given the dialogue, it's because Cloud makes a comment, and so that overrides it. Because it seems like he's not going to. At least for me, I got the impression that he definitely wasn't going to pick Cloud, and then Cloud said something, and all of a sudden he was like, "Oh, yeah." I, I, I and the the dialogue that I got for the dress I was in was identical to the dialogue that my wife got. Yeah. So I don't really think that that changed a whole lot, and I highly doubt whatever the black dress looks like is is, is going to change any of that because I, I no, still I, haven't really looked that up. I would imagine that it happens every time. Cause that's one of the things I was wondering about. Cause if I got it and you got it, I doubt the third dress is going to make a different. You just always get it. Although I wonder if you make Aerith's dress worse by not doing her side quests, if the dialogue changes or if maybe you choose the exotic for, for Tifa, I, I highly doubt that it does because it almost just kind of feels like they always intended cloud to be picked the whole time. Yeah. I mean, if it's not going to deviate, from like a completely different side quest chain that I don't see why it would deviate at that point either. Well, I mean, you in the original game did not, you, you said that you didn't have cloud get hit. Right. But in this case, again, the fact that we both got it, despite having like Aerith having the best dress she possibly could and stuff and us having different dresses and stuff suggests to me that it's basically just no matter what cloud gets picked. And so you immediately, more skeeviness where just like before Don says, yeah, do whatever you want with these two. I'm going to break her in or whatever. And then you, you get a video of Aerith and Tifa, both absolutely annihilating the guards. And there's a thing that's almost become kind of a meme now where Aerith goes like WWE and picks up a chair and smashes it over a guy. Yes. That is awesome. That was so awesome. He's like, wait, 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 wait. Because he, he's he's like, wait a minute. The Coliseum. Because, of course, it's those skeevy dudes from the Coliseum. Yeah, the announcers. The, the thing is, I actually thought the announcers were kind of funny at first. And then as soon as I saw them involved here, I'm like, I'll screw you. I'm like, at first, I thought, you know, it's just one of those things of, oh, they're just announcers. They're just doing their job or whatever. Yeah, well, no, they're apparently like. Don Corneo's lackeys that he just whatever and it just I was kind of disappointed that both of the announcers that I thought were reasonably funny before based off of their commentary of the fights and stuff I mean given that the Coliseum is run by Don Corneo I wasn't super surprised to see it but I get what you mean yeah then it's the same conversation and this is what I was this is what I was worried about it is the exact same conversation with Corneo, pretty much to an, a, a, a T. I mean, Cloud mentions cutting him off. Tifa mentions stomping him. Aerith mentions ripping him. And it's like, and then he immediately tells you that they're going to drop the plate. And so at that point, I'm like, so th- this is chapter nine. Yeah, this is the halfway point. Immediately yeah. heading into chapter 10. And they're immediately dropping the plate already. Like, I don't know where the game is going to go from here. It is, I think, worth mentioning before we go too far that after Aerith and Tifa beat up all the guards in that awesome movie, 
Leslie, the guy from the door, comes in and gives them all their gear. So yet again, it's like everybody who works for Don Corneo just absolutely hates him. And I find that kind of amusing. Leslie hates him. And the three well, yeah. amigos or whatever they're, they're called. The, the, the Every trio. Every character. <laughs> yeah. Not just the Mio. Uh, it seems like all the main characters dislike him, but all of his lackeys seem to just be on board with whatever oh, yeah. he does. And, and Leslie specifically says, Andrea filled me in. Uh, I'm here to bring your weapons and stuff. And, and I think what's really funny is Cloud changes like right in front of everybody. And, and there's a, even a scene like you see it from Don Corneo's perspective where like his eyes go wide or whatever that he like re- clearly realizes and then like gets this like disappointed look. What I'm really frustrated about is we didn't get to see Tifa and Era's reaction during all this are both of them standing there and just admiring watching him change while Corneo is just like realizing what's going on because Tifa, I mean given how into it Aerith was when they first got the dress on I feel like it's almost 100% that she is Aerith is like Tifa I don't know hey what is up man <laughs> I'd like to think that Cloud just got full nude in front of everybody Corneo's just like looking at his butt and stuff. And he's like, wait a minute. (laughs) So then he drops you into the sewers, just just like last time. And he does a little bit about, well, why would the villain tell you his plans? Uh, Because he thinks he's already won. Bingo. Which at that point, it was very clear that that was a trap door. Yeah, it's very obvious compared to the original game where you can't see it like at all. It's very obvious even when you're coming in in the video, you can see it on the floor. You're escaping. And Don Corneo says, wait, why would you stop? Why on earth would you stop? I'd just be like, dude, I already got everything I needed from you. I'm out. Bye. What's he going to do? Pull out a submachine gun or something? And I'm just going to block it all with my gigantic sword? Just leave. They also establish at this point, which we already kind of knew, but they explicitly make it clear that the people who had come around Sector 7 looking for Barrett were Don Corneo's men who were hired by Shinra to try to find Avalanche, which, I mean, we had already kind of known it, but they get confirmation out of Corneo that that, that that was the case. Yeah, I was hired to look for a guy with a gun for an arm, which I have to assume that there's probably many guys with guns for arms in, in this world. You know, you get an arm cut off. What are you going to do? Cybernetic implants of the future, man. I, I mean, that's the thing. It's just like attach a gun to it. Monsters are constantly attacking people. You know, you got to protect yourself. I mean, it's true. So you got to put a submachine gun on your arm. Uh, you know, he could have like just attached a buster sword to his arm and then we would have had a whole different conversation. Then he would be the man with the with the knife arm. I, I, <laughs> while I agree that uh, swords are, are, are better than guns you lose an awful lot of range of motion when the sword can only go like up, down, left, right. When you can't swing it around because you only have so much range of motion with just an elbow and your, your arm. Actually, you know, the biggest question I've had about all this, how does he shoot? I've been thinking that too. And I really don't know. I've been wondering that for a while. Did he just, well, you had said cybernetic implants. Maybe there's, I'm thinking that maybe he attached some sort of trigger device to one of his muscles, and when he flexes, it just automatically triggers the 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 shooting mechanism. I mean, it's got to be something like that, because there are definitely times 
where he basically does it one-handed and like isn't using his other hand to stabilize it or whatever, so it can't be an external trigger. Except if it was something like that, what happens if he's standing there hugging Marlene and somebody like comes up and slaps him on the arm and he tenses? Then it's like, it's like, dude, um, I don't know how it works, but I have to assume that there's some, there's got to be some sort of safety mechanism. Well, it's Barrett. So, you know, there aren't any safety mechanisms because he just doesn't care about anything. (laughs) The only safety mechanism is literally if Marlene is in the room, it can't fire somehow. That's the only safety. He's got some secret materia that that nobody else knows that he found a secret materia. The Marlene material. If we don't find out at some point through multiple games, because I know Barrett gets his whole side story and everything in the original, which I have to assume they're going to delve into. And if they don't tell us how the gun works, I'm going to be incredibly disappointed. I know in the original game, they definitely established how he got it, but they didn't go into how it works at all. But given how they're expanding everything, it wouldn't surprise me. I feel like they need to, especially considering he gets other guns. He gets other guns. Yeah, he just pops one off and pops the other one right on there, which is interesting because, you know, okay, a sword. Okay, I get it. You know, it's a really big sword, but as we've established, apparently everybody can just use these swords. So well, whatever you've established that I, I still don't I still disagree with you on that. Regardless, the point is Cloud isn't the only person who's buying these swords. The game explicitly says other people are or whatever, but I like how much demand is there for gun arms. <laughs> you know, I buy an awful options. lot of things that I'm not. I hear about, I have a lot of swords around the house, Andrew. I am not some ultimate swordsmith that knows how to wield a blade or anything like that. Anyone can go to a weapon shop and buy a sword. That doesn't mean they can wield it. That's fine. I guess my point is literally just how how common is it that gun arms are something that apparently everybody just has blueprints for lying around? That's the thing. That seems incredibly just unbelievable to me. Even if you take it from a sword standpoint, how do you get it on there? Is it like a screw on? Like, where does the shaft go? There's an awful lot of things that are just not explained about Barrett's gun arm. And I kind of feel like it's one of the first things they should talk about. If Cloud's immediate first question to Barrett in any sort of downtime is not, hey, how does your gun arm work? I just don't understand what he's doing with his life. If I saw a guy walking around with a gun arm, first of all, I probably would not talk to that person ever in any situation. I would probably like immediately run in the opposite direction because what the hell? (laughs) If that guy was my friend or hired me to do a bomb job... A mercenary operation. Sure. And I was using a sword and he was using this gun arm hand thing. As soon as there's downtime, hey man, how does that work? Like how does it how does it fire? How does that even work? Well, materia, it's magic. It's just it just does. That doesn't explain it. I need more detail. I mean, materia is just kind of the catch all of everything. Seven is interesting because it's kind of well, that's not true. I would say six is really the first time where they started to really delve into like trying to give you an explanation for magic beyond its magic of like there actually being some natural thing in the world that contributes to it. Materia is, is interesting because they kind of really go in that direction for a while after, after well then nine and 10, n- Never mind. You know what? Just forget I was saying anything. 
I just wasted everybody's time. Already forgotten. How'd you do with the sewer fight? Well, more importantly, who did you talk to first? Diva. As did I. And because of that, my wife actually talked to Aerith first. And Tifa's dialogue is actually longer. What's weirder is they say the exact same thing with the like like Cloud and and Aerith, aka we have to get to Sector Seven immediately. With the exception that Aerith doesn't immediately go. So is that all between you, or what else is going on here? And I do kind of like that from 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 Tifa. She didn't seem to really care a whole lot about Jesse, but Tifa's like, hey, um, who dis? Jesse hanging out with him was part of the job, whether or not she liked it. Whereas Aerith, this is, yeah, this completely, this complete rando. What are you doing with her? And it's like, oh, well, you know, she saved my life. I saved hers or I saved her life. She saved mine. When did she save his? Is that some secret thing that I'm not sure? When did that happen? When between the time that we met her and now did she save his life? Because, Andrew, I, I can't know. think of one. I mean, other than just random combat stuff, but like I w- wouldn't expect the game would count things like that. But I mean, maybe th- her being with him in the Coliseum and everything, maybe. But he, in cutscenes, has saved her life on numerous occasions, and she definitely didn't for him. So I'm already mad at Cloud because he has already lied to my girl. <laughs> and that will not stand. How dare he? So how did you do in that fight? I mean, pretty well. Um, I had my usual strategy for boss fights when Aerith is around, which is use that aura that does double casts and then blasted it with Faraga and it like just got destroyed. Yeah, well, just like normal things, I was not prepared. (laughs) I did not have any fire at all. I did happen to have Ifrit, but I had no fire spells attached to anybody and I won. But after the fight, I took a picture of it. Tifa and Cloud, or no, Aerith and Cloud both had one hit points, and Aerith had four. (laughs) Wow. No, I said that wrong. Aerith and Cloud had one, Tifa had four. And one might have actually been zero, because I'm pretty sure if you end the fight while someone is dead, they get up at one health. At the point when I killed them, killed it, two of my people... Like all three of them were alive. They just had very low health because this was a latch ditch ditch effort kind of thing. He had like a tiny sliver left and I was like, screw it. I'm all in. I'm going to use like everybody's ability. And I think what happened is the, was it a pig or a dog? What was that? I would probably say it's more like, honestly, it kind of reminds me of like a behemoth. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. Cause it did have giant horns on it. Yeah, it kind of I think it was in the middle of a slam attack when I ran my abilities and it just so happened that Tifa survived with four HP. So I think I killed it, although there have been a few times in this game where I definitely felt like I should have died and the game just kind of gave me a free pass and set me at one HP. Yeah, I wonder if there's like a percent chance for like a you know second win type scenario i honestly i don't know but i i mean cool that's nice of it i mean it wasn't a it was not one of those talisman things 
I know that for yeah. for a fact because yeah, I don't. I've had. I don't have I've that got a few of those. Anybody? And, and yeah, I've never used them because I just kind of hate, as a matter of personal preference, those like w- equipment items that are like one use only. Because I'm always like, I'll oh, forget about it, and then I just won't have any equipment on, and I hate that. Yeah, I didn't like that either. I mean, when they don't have to be in your, when you don't have to equip them to use them, it's fine. So like. Buying yeah. homunculus in Persona Five, I was perfectly okay yeah, ex- with because it just happened. Or even if it's just a regular item that I can use, I don't care about that. I just don't like it being on an equipment slot because it's an extra step I will forget about. And it's one of those things that there's just the champion belt is just so much more useful than that. I mean, oh yeah, champion belt is amazing for 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 me for for you anyway. The Lord of all video games that has never had a single issue in this game. I want to make that clear. For me, I probably could have <laughs> used it on a few occasions. I just haven't. I mean, like I said, there's definitely been a few close calls. I've managed to pull it off, but I, there were definitely a couple fights where I really thought my streak was about to end. Oh, the, the you're so humble. You know, it. I, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to do this podcast with me. Uh, because your skills I mean, you know, it is kind of, are just truly... it is kind of a big inconvenience. So you know, I'm glad you appreciate that. <laughs> just know deep down that uh, it really means a lot that you would come down to my level and, and talk to me about Final Fantasy VII. I'm, I'm glad that you know I can. I, I I'm glad I can remember the little guy sometimes. So after you destroy us, you know, pro gamers over here. I don't know if you want to lump yourself into that crowd. I absolutely don't, and I know I'm also not anywhere near that good. So, <laughs> so I, once you beat it, then you go into the sewers. And here's the thing: I, I kind of there's one part in the sewers because the, the sewers is basically just it, it's kind of a puzzle. And I will say those kind of things are fun, except chapter ten and chapter eleven felt so short to me. Each one of them was basically just one dungeon. Which there have been a couple other occasions like. It, it was very similar to, I think it was chapter four and five, where you're going to the second reactor because it's the same thing. It's basically just a dungeon, new chapter, a dungeon, new chapter. And 10 and 11 were the exact same thing. It's They're just transit chapters. All you're doing is trying to get somewhere the whole time. There's like no plot. Yeah. So one part in the sewers that I was a little, I just don't understand why it happened this way when, so so it's. It's when the pump doesn't work, and you basically have to pump out a giant room of stuff. Yeah. Tifa immediately says to Cloud, hey, you just wait in here, and we'll go out and do it. I thought Tifa was going to use that as an opportunity to grill Aerith about their relationship or whatever. But no, you literally just do a pump and do like a timing puzzle, and then everybody goes back and Like, what was the purpose of that? Hey, uh, Cloud, you sit in here and just watch for no more lights. That really felt like a, we're going to go to the powder room and talk. Yeah, it, it, it did feel like something should have happened there. It was it was a little strange. I mean, whether it was going to be a fight that, that you had to just use the two of them, which is what I expected, was they were going to get into a fight and it was just Cloud wouldn't be there. But either way, it was kind of strange and anticlimactic that basically nothing happens. I I, I didn't expect the chapter to be over immediately. Because then you kill a couple more monsters after that section, and boom, you're in chapter eleven, and it's the haunted graveyard. Yeah, and the haunted, the haunted, um, the train graveyard is at least an interesting area. The sewers was just kind of bland. 
It was interesting only in the fact that there was like a creepy ghost vibe going on the whole time. And I love how Tifa the whole time is just like, you, you don't think there's actually ghosts, do you? Yeah, you Tifa was, was scared of it. Ghosts? That was fun. Meanwhile, this is where you, this whole kind of section here, I, it was interesting to me in the sense of it kind of built up that there's something more going on with Aerith. Yeah. Because she didn't care about the ghosts, but then also she has conversations with them that nobody else does. That is like the first time that you really establish that there's something going on there. I mean, we already knew that obviously coming from the first game, but to someone who's new, I think that's really the first time they've kind of laid that out there. What was interesting to me is why did Tifa see Marlene? That makes no sense to me at all because Marlene is not dead, to my knowledge. Unless there's something going on with her. I mean, that would be a huge change to from the previous game because she definitely got out of the out of the previous game. So yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sure what was going on there unless it was just like one of those, you know, takes the form of somebody you care about sort of situations. But I didn't think like they didn't really establish that ghosts had the ability to do that. Yeah, no, I, I don't really know what was going These on there. These ghosts took the form of children, but one of them specifically took the form of Marlene. And, and and she's crying and everything like that. And then suddenly Tifa is remembering, you know, her talking about her dad coming home and everything like that. And well, specifically not coming home. And I don't know, man, it just that whole that was just weird. That was really weird, especially to come out of nowhere like that. I mean, yeah, I guess the sections about ghosts and everything. But since she's not dead, I was not expecting the ghost to take her form at all. It, it's also interesting because. I think that's basically one of the first times that it establishes that ghosts are a thing. I mean, I take that back because, like, the haunted grave or the train graveyard, even in the original game, I think had some ghost enemies you could fight, but not in the same way because, like, there's never really any acknowledgement of ghosts as anything more than a random encounter in the way there were here, where, like, they're just a part of this world and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, the, the, they were actually part of it and not just a random thing that you fight. Well, they were they were a part of the world in the sense that ghosts would be a part of our world because it seemed like nobody believed it was true and they didn't believe that it was possible because Tifa's like the whole time, yeah, there's not ghosts and then they're totally your ghosts. And then she's like, "Uh, okay, I'm I I am definitely freaked out now." Even then, Tifa really gave off that vibe of like someone who was trying to reassure herself and that she actually always did kind of believe because she was very nervous when she said those things. Yeah. Whereas Cloud definitely just did not seem to believe and Aerith was just like, yeah, whatever. It's ghosts. No big deal. But when that ghost takes her Aerith at the end and then Cloud and Tifa come running in to save her and everything, that's really when you get the first kind of indication that something is different. Yeah, because Aerith has a conversation with the ghost, and obviously you can't understand the ghost side of the conversation at all, but she is talking to it. I think the purpose of that is because that's also something that, that Tifa and Cloud sort of saw because they were on their way to save her. They would have seen the same thing. She talking to the ghost and have no idea what any what the ghost was saying. Expanding that section in that way was was really was really interesting and I enjoyed that they were kind of delving into, like, giving you hints and pieces about Aerith before you immediately find out, yeah, she's different. It was interesting because I know we had talked at some point that you were talking about how it didn't feel like Chapter 10 
had a boss the way other chapters did, and to some extent that's true, because the boss of chapter 10 was the very, very first thing, and then there's nothing after that, but then flipping that around, 11 basically has two bosses immediately after each other. Yeah, you're, you're, you're right there. The first boss seemed more like a mid-boss to me, but it was definitely a boss. Like, there was a boss character, and then there was an immediate, that chariot thing. I got angry in that section, not because I didn't annihilate it, but because I kept trying to do the stagger the whole time, and it kept not working out. And that is when I sent you the text message. I hate everything that's ever existed. I'm never going to get it. This is garbage. <laughs> and then I immediately fought the mysterious figure right after that in the beginning of chapter 12. And it was such a nothing fight whenever that comes up that that was the time I was able to do the 200 stagger. And because it's literally 10 minutes apart, I was like, yeah, I immediately got it. <laughs> But that chariot thing is where I was getting so angry because I'm like, I am never, I have to just come to terms with the fact that I'm never going to get this thing. I immediately got it. I found it very, I mean, I thought the chariot boss fight was kind of rough. That was one of the ones I actually, I actually had a decent amount of problem with. I guess this is just one of those rare occasions where I don't have any issues at all because the entire fight, I was solely focused on getting the stagger. And nothing else. I wasn't really healing. I wasn't really doing anything. I was solely focused on getting the stagger. And it was funny because my wife was like, yeah, get ready. You're going to hate this fight. And as soon as it was over, I was like, I'm literally only mad because of the stagger. And she was like, yeah, I saw you did really well. I, I guess I'm just suited for some fights and not suited for others. The thing is, I was very prepared for this one. Both the fights I've commented about that I've, I, I like recently that I commented that I thought were, were difficult. Both of those you just blew through because hell house was the other one. And I, and I know you said you didn't have any problems with that at all. And I wasn't even somewhat prepared for hell house because I didn't even bring one of the item or one of the materia. You think I would have learned my lesson and equipped a fire between that fight and falling in the, the behemoth pit. But I didn't because I still didn't have fire <laughs> equipped. Now, that is, a, since I did do the whole market section again, I do want to point out, I when I sufficiently prepared for the fight, I had zero problems. I used fire and everything like that, and I absolutely annihilated him. Whenever it came up to come out, I was like, I don't even know if I need to use him. It's like, that's the thing. It's like, I am not super great at changing my plan in the middle of a fight. So if my plan works from the very beginning, I just blow through everything. I am not great at adaptation in, in the middle of a fight, especially when I don't really know anything about the fight. And then suddenly, just like rude, I didn't have wind, just like that thing. I didn't have fire. <laughs> Two bosses. Speaking of um, Ifrit and summons, though, I think I did finally figure out what triggers to make a summon happen. Oh, it seems like the first time you do a stagger on something, the bar shows up. Interesting. But it almost never happens in regular fights because usually everything is dead by the time you get a stagger. I have, I've gotten stagger in a lot of fights where there's been one or two enemies left and I've never once seen the summon thing come up. I don't know because I see it. I see it a lot more now in fights that like I would never have expected it to happen. And it's always been after I've done a stagger like random things in the arena and stuff like that, where I was like, 
you know, these are just some mobs. They're not a boss or whatever, but every single time the bar shows up, you're, you're right in the arena. When you stagger something, the summon does show up, but it's only in certain spots. When you're fighting random enemies out in the overworld, you, if it just does not show up, cause I stagger things constantly and it does not show up. In every single fight, even the first one with the were rats, if you stagger one of them, your the summon bar will show up. So I think you're right on the whole stagger thing. I just didn't know what triggered it. But I am constantly staggering stuff in the overworld. The entire fight, all the way up to the plate, I was staggering every single one of those guys, and not one time did Ifrit ever come out. I staggered everybody because humans are incredibly easy to stagger. And on the other hand, a lot of the humans are very difficult to kill without staggering them just because like they take so much more damage when you stagger. Yeah, them. like those helicopter things. Yes, uh. the helicopter guys. Once you realize how to stagger them, they're very easy, but then it's just really annoying because you're just waiting for them to do the thing. So, so, But once again, the ghosts show up and they prevent you. I don't understand why they're preventing you from getting to the tower. I think they were slowing you down. Maybe, but why? If you got there sooner, you could have stopped it. Andrew, n- now... More specifically, you could have saved other things. What other things could we have saved? The other members of Avalanche? I, I think it's pretty clear that no matter what was going to happen, we there, there was no saving any of them. Because Jesse was literally one floor up. I mean, Jesse is the one where the ghosts actively got... Or where the figures actively got involved in her dying, though. Presumed death. Oh, yes. I, I guess basically everything plays out exactly as it did in the original game. You get to the tower, Wedge kind of gives you the lowdown on what's going on, but Wedge takes a massive fall. He basically falls off the side of the tower and slams into the ground. Which is what he did in the original game, too, although once again, the grappling hook thing came back up because he did catch himself with the gun. It's basically the same thing that happened to Cloud. Yeah. And... Then Tifa and Aerith basically say, hey, we're going to help him out, and you you get going. So Cloud starts going up the up the tower. Which is really long. The tower is huge. I mean, it's basically the entire chapter once again, but it's a big tower. And I do want to point out, every single person, Wedge, Biggs, and Jesse, all say, we deserve this because we're bad people. Yeah. Every they, single they- one of them. So I'm sorry, but I feel a little vindicated in a way because even they know, yeah, they kind of got what was coming to them. Do I want them to die? No. But after everything that I've seen in this section, pretty sure they're going to because when you get up to Biggs, he he, he reflects on everything that you had done, everything that had happened. He wants you to go talk to the Leaf Orphanage and, he, and, and Cloud basically says... No, that's something you're going to have to do yourself. And then he asks you, will you make sure it was all worth it? I said, yes, of course, whatever you want. Yeah, exactly. I did the same thing. And he goes, thanks for you know having the courtesy to lie to me like that. And then he passes out or dies or whatever. But I actually thought he was dead. And then Cloud kind of started to walk away. And then he was like, oh, by the way, the orphanage. Like, okay, man, I got it, dude. It was like one of those things in those comedy skits where, like, the guy, like, is dying and then has, like, another sentence and then almost die- another sentence over and over again. It's like, Biggs, I'm sorry, man, but I I, got, I, I really got somewhere to be, man. I, I got to stop this plate from falling. 
And then like you start to walk away and Biggs is like, oh, I thought about one more thing. It's like, dude, either like die or or, or come with me. I really don't know what to do at this point. <laughs> and so then you get up to Jesse and Jesse is, is, is definitely kicking butt and taking names as she's like th- throwing grenades out at helicopters and stuff and, and taking taking people out. Yeah, and she's doing really well. And then she goes to do a throw and those figures like basically like stop it and the grenade blows up right in front this of her. This whole section to me is very, very annoying because it, they really do beat it home that you, your team is winning. And I think you're on to something because every single step of the way, these ghosts stop that from happening. Yeah. But because of the fact that we don't know what's going on with them yet, it is infinitely frustrating to present it in that way. I cannot tell you how frustrated I am that at every single turn, you keep winning every fight, you keep going up the, the, the battle and you're, you're trying to help everybody. And no matter what you do, even though it looks like you've won, uh, you lost anyway. I think it's also worth noting that uh, we see a bunch of other people show up to help avalanche because, because which again, I think goes back to the sort of complexity of the situation that the, this version of the game touched on more, but I don't think still, I would have liked to see more of because in the original, it was just, you know, Shinra bad avalanche good end of discussion or whatever. And there's, there's more nuance here, but like seeing, you know, a bunch of random other people also pick up their guns and go up and try to help avalanche and fight and stuff. Like just that it wasn't just the four of them doing, you know what I mean? Like that there was, that they there were was a lot of people with them. Yeah. That it wasn't like, you know, everybody thinks avalanche is bad or whatever. Like it was just interesting to see that, you know, they, they do have the support of a fair number of other people. Well, not just avalanche, because I think it's established that it's the neighborhood watch or whatever. Uh, yeah, the neighborhood watch because they they did talk about that in somewhat, but then the part where with Aerith, the neighborhood watch goes off to help find people, so it couldn't have been it could have been part of the watch, but there at least some of them didn't. Go. It kind of sounded like the watch is basically just a large volunteer organization. Oh yeah, the, the, oh, yeah. that's a lot of the people in town. Yeah, the watch is basically just hey, do you want to keep the town safe? Great, here's a gun. While you're kind of going up the tower, and while you are figuring everything out. You have different moments where different things are happening. And at one point, I th- I want to say it's after Jesse, before you get up to Barrett, that you play as Aerith. Yeah, because Tifa decides she has to go help. And that's when she tells Aerith that she needs to go get Marlene. Yes. And asks Wedge to basically guide her to the bar. And then he just doesn't. I want to point this out because it was so frustrating to me. He says, oh, by the way, the bar's that way. And then he just, like, screws off somewhere else and just does his own thing. To be fair, he left because he was trying to escort people out. It wasn't like he yes, just Yes, but left. there are other people that were doing that. He didn't need to do it. His job that Tifa gave him was take Aerith to the bar and get Marlene. She is a child and cannot get out on her own. Aerith doesn't know where to go. You need to go with her. He had one job, Andrew, and he didn't bother to do it. He's like, oh, just go straight and you'll find it. I mean, like, I get it. I'm just saying, like, it, I guess I'm just a little bothered by the idea that he just screwed off or whatever, because he did. it's not like he didn't. Okay, he, di- he didn't go get Marlene or whatever. But again, it's not like he just was like, oh, I don't want to and left or whatever. Like, he was guiding all those other people. And I believe Aerith even specifically told him to do that. 
Eris said she'd be fine, but it was his decision to say, hey, I'm going to go help these people. And she's like, oh, I guess I'll find it. It's like, what, what choice did she have? I'm just saying from a Wedge perspective, yeah, I get Andrew. He's, he's, you're right. He's actually helping people for once instead of blowing them up in reactors. But Marlene is a defenseless child. All he had to do was take Aerith to the bar and he doesn't do that. And if he had been there, maybe things would have gone a little differently and Shinra would not have taken Aerith. Except for the fact that she went willingly with Shinra, which, what is that about? Because that even wasn't in the original game that I'm aware of. They said something about she has to go willingly, otherwise it wouldn't work. What is going on? Well, that that didn't come up until after all this, but... All I know is, I don't know Andrew, exactly what that is about either. I have no idea what's going on there. It came up in this section. No, it didn't, because it came up with uh, when you get to... El- Elmira or the, her mom again. I was including that in this section, but oh. I guess you're right. It's not technically in the same section. I didn't think we were going to get that far in this episode. So, well, yeah, but I mean, people kind of already know what's going on with Aerith, but that was really confusing to me. I was like, I don't know what is going on here. That doesn't make any sense, but yeah, I don't really get the, that because as far as I was aware, you know, I didn't know exactly what they want with her i mean other than the stuff we sort of got from the the original game but like i mean it was always my understanding that they wanted her to lead them to the promised land or whatever which okay but i didn't really get what the whole willingly part of it was especially given shinra's you know general lack of concern for people's willingness and pretty much everything else that they do i guess they have to explain somehow that she's developed a rapport with these shinra people throughout the years And they just didn't take her because that even confused me from the original game. Since when has Shinra respected anyone's boundaries at all? They just haven't in any way, shape or form. So why would they suddenly start now for Aerith? That made no sense. But there's something else that I I, I feel like I have to bring up. More strangeness with Marlene. Because Andrew, that whole section with Marlene... And she's like, hey, you know, I'm I'm friends with, with Barrett, and I'm supposed to come help you. I'm supposed to come get you because bad stuff is happening. And Marlene kind of seems like she's not going to do it. And then she hears this something because we don't hear it. It's just some music or whatever. And then it just immediately stops. Aerith puts her finger to her mouth like she's done when she's talked to the planet in other situations, Marlene just goes, oh, cool, sweet, I'm coming with you now. What? What is going on? I don't know. I mean, maybe she used her connection to the planet to try to, like, have it, you know, comfort Marlene or calm her down or whatever. Like, I don't entirely... Are they trying to imply that Marlene may be special like Aerith? I mean, that could be interesting because she doesn't look anything like Barrett, so it seems pretty obvious that they're not like blood related. It it, it could be a, the same situation. I just I I don't know. We don't ever see Marlene's mom. It I I'm just something strange is going on with 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 Marlene that I feel like they're diving into that maybe they didn't in the original game. If if you don't if you know, it's fine that you're not telling me or whatever. That's fine. I don't I don't want to know. But 
it definitely seems from my perspective, not not knowing anything about the original game, that something strange is going on with the whole Marlene situation. So I just wanted to wanted to put that out there because I noticed I noticed that my wife noticed it and she she even said something to me later on. I think Marlene might be special. And she's actually way farther than me in the game at this point. And I'm like, what are you giving me spoilers for? She's like, oh, I don't have any information. I just, based off of all of these things, I think she might be special. I'm like, oh, okay. I was like, I can't believe it. I got to deal with Andrew's spoilers and now you. But yeah, I, I felt like I needed to say something because that's definitely, but it definitely seems like there's something larger going on with, with Marlene. One thing I do want to mention that actually happened back in the sewers, too, that kind of went along with what I was thinking about in terms of the the entities being, like, trying to enforce fate or whatever, because Aerith makes a comment in the sewers at a certain situation, I think when they're talking about the plate falling or whatever, about how it's not like there's fate or that you can defy fate or whatever, and that's kind of part of where I got, got back into thinking about that's what those things were supposed to be. And it's just this little offhanded comment but it kind of stuck out in my head when I heard it. I get that. I just really don't know where they're going with it. Oh, yeah. I mean, me either. But Because here's the thing. It influenced Biggs. It influenced Jesse. You get up there, and just like before, you fight Reno. This time, yeah. Rude also joins the fight. You beat both of them. I do want to say incorporating the pyramid was so awesome. Yes, it was annoying. But it was so cool that they still were like, no, he had that in this fight and he's going to use it. I thought that was yeah, cool. the, the the pyramid that like stops you from doing anything. And yeah. then it even came up. It's like, by the way, you have to shoot the pyramid like it even was like tutorial because people may not know what to do here because yeah. so much stuff is going on that it's very you are probably not paying attention to everything that everybody is saying. The little comments here and there in the fight, whereas in the original game, because it's turn-based, Tifa would just come up, or Barrett would come up and just say, hey, you probably want to shoot that, by the way, which I didn't notice yeah. the first time. <laughs> I played the game, and I thought Pyramid would just go away until Reno cast Pyramid on all three of them, and I got a game over, and I'm like, oh, guess I was supposed to do something about that. And I th then I thought back to, when then when I did the fight again, I saw the Hey, you should probably shoot that thing. And I'm like, oh, cool. Brrr, thank you. But I did think that that was really cool that that was incorporated in yeah. this fight. And, and the fight is much more epic than originally because at first, Rude just like does bombing runs with the helicopter. It like drops bombs on you and stuff while you're fighting Reno. And then eventually you can uh, fight the helicopter and Barrett can shoot it down and stuff. And then the helicopter crashes. And Rude gets out, and once again, his glasses break, and he pulls out another pair of glasses. Does Rude have a crush on Tifa or something? Because Reno is very clearly about to shoot Tifa to bits, and he and then Rude jerks, jerks it and, like, moves off, and, and, and the helicopter flies away. And Reno calls him out on it. That, that whole section is interesting, though, because, like, we were talking about just last week, Reno in particular has a lot of misgivings about it. And then he eventually settles on, well, it's my job or whatever. But like he goes through and clearly doesn't seem to be comfortable with what he's doing, even though he winds up doing it. He has this whole section of, I'm not comfortable with it. But then when he decides he's going to do it, he is, 
he flips he flips the switch so fast he from is all I don't in. want to to I'm going to murder everything in sight. Oh, you're that stupid idiot from before? Well, I'm going to shoot you to bits. Like he wanted to kill Cloud in the worst possible way. And then and then when Tifa comes up there, he's like, "Oh, great, another one for me to murder." And that's when Rude kind of shifts it away. It almost kind of seems like Rude maybe he wants them to win. I don't know. Because I, that really confused me. Either he just likes Tifa, which I totally get. I, I, I mean, <laughs> I totally understand. The way I took that, first of all, the th- Reno thing, I got the impression that, because you're right, it's like a, f- a switch flips, and I really got the impression that when he saw Cloud, he was just like, oh, I hate that guy. And all of a sudden, he was like, okay, whatever, I don't care anymore. And he just was like w- willing to just do the job because it's like, oh, I can at least get this guy, and I don't, I've been wanting to get revenge on this guy since he beat me up in the in the church. Yeah, but then he sees Tifa and he's like, oh, cool, another one for me to mow down. I know, but I just like, I, I feel like that was what he, the push he needed to like segment it away and basically make his conscience shut up. And then at that point, it wasn't a problem anymore. Whereas, yeah, that makes sense. Like, yeah, that, like that, Reno, that, that, does, that does make sense. Like Reno and Rude both, again, have those moments of like not quite being as sold on the cause as they think they are, but not at the point where they're ready to, you know, abandon it yet. But I do like that we're getting those hints a lot earlier because it was almost like in the original game, you know, it's so far in. And up until that point, every single time they've shown up, you've just been like, oh, it's a boss fight with Reno and Rude. Except just like I was saying before, we totally won. We just did. We won. We beat them. We were going over to actively turn it off and Tifa didn't know what to do. Ghost got involved. Reno or or, or Reno was down for the count. Was out. He was like. He, he had been beaten up to the point where he couldn't move anymore. Rude could have easily just left, but decides to drop the plate anyway and like knocks Tifa out in the process. I'm sorry, man. I don't care if they have a redeemable moment later. There uh, is no redeeming to, those actions. There just isn't. I wasn't trying to suggest that. I was just getting it like it's interesting that they're kind of showing that sort of thought process even though they then go ahead and do the thing, and it, it just makes them... An, I totally know what you were getting at. I just wanted to say that specifically. That, that had nothing to do with, with your comment. It just kind of makes it go back to them being, you know, like I said last week, kind of similar to Avalanche in that, like, they recognize that this isn't good things that they're doing, but they feel an obligation to do it, even though Reno and Rude's justifi- obligation is just it's their job. They're not, they're not fighting for a more noble purpose. But it's just an interesting parallel of, you know, they have very similar sort of, you know, I'm doing bad things, not because I want to, but because I feel like I have to. Except there is just no redeeming anything for them at this point, for me, personally. Right. But the moment where the plate fall with, with Rude doing that... That was the moment that really sold me that my theory was correct about them try the the spirits existing to like try to keep the timeline on like the the correct path or whatever, because like you said, you won. It was it was like clear you had completely destroyed them, and it was over. And then they they specifically block Cloud and Barrett from getting to Rude until Rude has enough time to do it, and then they immediately disperse as soon as it's over. Andrew, that that's the part where. I don't. You had kind of alluded to the fact that these ghosts are somewhat new. There was maybe like a section with these mysterious ghosts later in in the original game, but it was not nearly as pronounced as it is now. Yeah. What is dictating the 
quote-unquote correct path. Well, I think the quote-unquote correct path in this case is the path that it took in the original game, which implies that this is some kind of like alternate dimension or time loop sort of scenario. And, and I'm just... Which is the part where I'm like, I, I, I'm really curious where they're going with this, but it's it's getting progressively harder for me to ignore the idea that that's what this is, is that every time things are changing. It's infinitely frustrating because basically what they're saying is it is going to be a copy and paste of the original game with more bits with filler. And that is infinitely depressing to me. Unless there is some way at some point for us to control this fate somehow. I have to assume that that's going to happen because it doesn't make sense for it to keep showing up like this if they're not going to pay it off later. This is where it comes back to like, I was really surprised that they even announced they were going to do a Final Fantasy VII remake because this is a situation where I don't know how you... It seems impossible to make everybody happy because if they do deviate from stuff, that's going to make certain people upset because they want it to be exactly the same. And if they don't, then that's going to make certain people upset who don't want it just to be the exact same story. Or, I mean, just like the changes to the battle system and stuff. Like I already commented. We already know that there are things the game was not finished when it was released. We know that because there are bits and pieces of the code that people have gone through over the last 15 years and saw that there were definitely sections of the game where Aerith was still supposed to be there, so it was possible to save her. What I'm getting at is they have an op- they had an opportunity to do like a director's cut and tell the story they actually wanted to tell, and I'm sorry, screw the people who want it to be exactly the same. You know, if they're going to expand the universe as much as they have, I don't want to play the exact same game. I don't want to. I want to have a new, fresh experience. I don't want, obviously, everything to change. Like, I'm aware of the basic outline of the game. And so far, the basic outline has been fine. And and I've said multiple occasions that I love all of the stuff that they've added. But they have the ability to change certain things. So one of the things that I'm specifically talking about is it was pretty clear that Wedge was going to make it out. He literally ran off to go help people instead of go save Marlene. So he was not in a situation where he should have been under the plate when it went off. But no, you get a video of the ghost surrounding him while he's holding his cat and he immediately gets crushed by some gigantic debris. They literally set it up to, yeah, Wedge is definitely going to survive. And then he just doesn't. I, I, I cannot tell you how frustrating that is because it's like, why would I even buy the other Final Fantasy games when I can literally just go out and buy Final Fantasy seven for $15, play the whole thing and never, I already know the story. Nothing's going to change. So why do I care? Well, and that's part of where I came back to like, I, I feel like when I, and I think I talked about this either in the very first episode of this or in the original where I feel like this is going to be the best part because every, I don't think anybody's going to assume, you know, however many million copies that this sold, the next one is not going to sell more than that. Like they're just going to not plan on it selling more than that. And I just, so like, so they're going to become more and more constrained by, okay, well we have to assume we're going to get the same number minus a certain percentage, which means your budget's going to be a little bit smaller and your budget's going to be a little bit smaller. And you know, Oh, we got to build this whole world map and stuff like, what they did with Midgar is fine, they but like, it's really not that They have to do the exact same thing with any Final Fantasy game they make. 
So, so basically what you're saying is nobody should ever make another game ever because they have to that's assume not, it's not going to sell better than previous games. That's not, well, no, because this is, that would be a direct sequel that's a direct continuation of the plot. People are generally not going to buy something that is part two without having first played part one, knowing it's the exact same thing. So whatever the cap is on the first game, it seems very unlikely the second part is going to sell more than the first part. And that's what I'm saying is that is more of an argument to actually change something than just add filler. Like, change the fact that Wedge and Biggs and Jesse maybe don't die or one of them doesn't die or something. You don't have to change the whole basic story, but you could have a little bits of pieces here and there that it went a different way, but it, it came out to the same result. Like there are different ways that you could have done it and, and have it ultimately end in the same result, but the story is told slightly differently. So it gives people a reason to buy a new game. If it's literally, if these mysterious figures are just going to be the referee, so to speak, of this is how things have to go to keep everybody who played it originally happy. Every time they show up, I'm just going to be like, cool, I guess nothing's going to change. I already know everything that's going to happen. When it gets to the point later in the game, because spoiler alert, if nobody knows this, Eric dies. She does in the original game. We mentioned it multiple times. If it gets to the point where Aerith is about to die and these ghosts again show up and again she just dies because they have to keep the natural order of things. I, I'm I'm sorry, that is stupid. I, I just don't know how they're going to come back from that. But see, that's the thing is, introducing those is very explicitly a decision they made, which means, and I mean, I would agree with you, if they continue to go with nothing is ever going to change because of that, that would be dumb. But like, they could have just not introduced that and just had it play out the same. The fact that they're there, it's a Chekhov's gun scenario. You don't introduce them and then not use them. They may not be used in this one, but I can almost guarantee something is going to change or their entire existence is not going to make sense. I get where you're coming from, and I 100% agree with you, but because we don't know anything about them yet, and if we don't find anything about them in this game, that's going to be infinitely frustrating. That's like not a cliffhanger that I care to wait for. If I don't start getting between now and the, the second half of the game, although at this point there's six more chapters because... So the last third, act so three. Act three. If we don't get some sort of information on what's going on or anything, you're right, Andrew. I'm not going to play the second game. I don't care to because I know it's going to play out the exact same way that the first one does. And why on earth would I do that? They're shooting themselves in the foot in that case. Oh, things just aren't going to change. Oh, but if you wait, maybe they will in the next one. N no, that's just dumb. I really hope they start giving us more information about that in the coming sections. I cannot tell you how frustrating it is that they built up Jesse, Wedge, and Biggs so much only to just kill them off. And there's nothing you can do about it, just like the original game. Except in the original game, it was six hours and you had like maybe two dialogue options with them. I, I spend half of a game with these people and I'm thinking the whole time, I'm hoping and, and, and just wishing that, okay, it's going to be different and I'm specifically not looking it up. I'm specifically not determining if they live or die because I, I want to see if they've made a, a slight change. Maybe just one of them. I just have hope that maybe one of them, even if it was Wedge. 
Because I'm sorry, I just don't care about the comic relief. I, I feel like Wedge really got a bad rap, but at the same time, because he got such a bad rap, I don't really care about his character. But even if he made it out, that made me think that there's a chance that something is going to be different. Admittedly, immediately after all this goes down, you go to see Elmira, and we'll, we'll get more in detail in that next week. The next chapter is all about going back and seeing what happened to them. And I can only hope that because you're specifically going back to see if they're alive or dead, that at least one of them made it out. Because maybe that is the whole defying fate thing or whatever, because in the original game, you just went off about your business. He went off and got Marlene and was like, cool, I got everything I needed, and then just leaves. Like, let's go out and get, let's go out and get Aerith now. It's like, Barrett, you, you didn't even know Aerith. All you knew is that she saved Marlene. These have been your best friends forever, if there wasn't a section of Barrett going back and seeing his friends, like Barrett is just going to be solidified as like the most terrible person to me that has ever existed because that dude has spent so much time with these people, convinced them to go on this crusade against Shinra. And yes, they all had their own reasons. I get that. But to a lesser degree, none of it would have happened without Barrett. No, and I don't, and I don't disagree. And I fully agree that that addition of him specifically being like, I'm going to say the immediate aftermath of the plate crash, I thought was extremely well done and getting like getting to see Barrett be really emotional and like trying to like pry through rubble, even with his one hand to try to get back in there and cloud and Tifa, like pulling him away and stuff like getting to see him actually care, which, which happened in the original game, but it was expanded so much more. And then admittedly, as soon as he finds out that there's hope that Marlene is still alive, Yeah, of course, as a parent, I would immediately go do that first. But the fact that he then said, I have got to go back and see if they're alive. I'm like, okay, thank you, Barrett. Thank you. Because that is definitely what you should have done in the original game. And you just didn't. And the the conversation that he has with Cloud in that point is really good. Because Aerith, just like in the original game, communicates that Marlene is okay. And so then Cloud's like, well, he... Probably sent Marlene to her mom's house. That was, that's the most obvious place. He goes, and Barrett's like, so this is where this is we're, we're going to to where Marlene is. He goes, where I think Marlene probably is. And, he's, and Barrett says something along the lines of, "Please give me hope. Give me hope. Tell me she's there. I won't even be mad if it's wrong." And then he pauses for a second. He's like, "Who am I kidding? I would probably rip your head off." Yeah. And I'm like, and like that. That's re- that's a really that's really true to Barrett's character because he absolutely would be furious about it and take it out on somebody near him because like, like, which is, you know, not a great character, but it's very true to who Barrett is. And I just thought that was a really effective. Because the very first thing when Shang comes up and he basically says, there's nothing you can do. It's happening. You can't stop it. Aerith pops on the screen real quick. And she says, I got Marlene. And he's immediately like, What? What did, what are you doing with Marlene? Because he's immediately angry because, again, he's never seen Aerith before. He has no idea who she is. And then Tifa's like, oh, she's cool. Don't worry. She's good. Like, she's with us. And he's like, what do you mean? Why is she with them? <laughs> yeah. If she's with us, then why is she with them? And I did like the way that worked out where she made the deal to willingly go with them in exchange for getting Marlene out of there. Like that was much better handled than just her showing up in a helicopter and being like, yeah, I'm captured, but I got her out. Like how, how did you have time to go do that? Yeah, I know. 
that that was definitely confusing. I was like, I I really liked how they did that whole section where he 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 saw her and then said, "Well, somebody's been a little too adventurous." Yeah, and then goes and gets her, and in that process, that's way more believable of her character than because in the original game there was definitely no willingness to go with them that I'm aware of. That was never even mentioned. And also, like, given how quickly you get up that pillar and stuff, how would she have had time to get Marlene to her mom's house and stuff in, like, the 30 seconds that you're running up this pillar? Like, it now there's, you know, A, the pillar's much longer, so there's a lot more time, but also, oh, okay, well, they flew her there by helicopter because that was the deal. Like, it just makes more sense. Yeah. I still, up to this point, still know, and, and I understand that I've had a lot of frustrations. I, who am I kidding? When the second game comes out, I'm still going to buy it. It's Final Fantasy. I don't care if it's <laughs> Final Fantasy VII Part Two. I, it doesn't matter to me. I'm still going to play it. And I'm still having a lot of fun with this game. But, and that's a very big but, I can't help but be disappointed and frustrated right now. It's not my place to say, well, you should have changed certain things just to make me happy. Because just like you were saying, Andrew, there's a lot of other people that would be incredibly annoyed that maybe one or or all three of them survived. I don't know. It wasn't really something that you had indicated that they actually went into in the original game at all. So if they survived, maybe this time we just knew about it. Maybe they were always meant to survive. Maybe we know that they survived in the original game or the developers of the original game knew they survived. They just didn't say anything about it because they never come up again. Because you guys... In, in, in that game, just immediately leave and never come back to Midgar until you parachute in later. <laughs> it's just frustrating because having those ghosts there and now knowing, understanding that you are, are that makes the most sense. Why are they there then? And I have to assume it's going to get explained, but I really yeah, like, hope they go into it in this game. No, I agree. Like, I want there to be more about that, but like, it's just one of those things that because I would completely agree with you. It's back to like the conversation that we had when you were talking about with Sephiroth. If they don't take advantage of this opportunity to actually elaborate on it, it's going to be a big disappointment. Exactly. And I will say, other than those couple of times in the beginning, the appearances of Sephiroth have been very minimal. And I'm actually very surprised by how restrained the game has been after that beginning section in terms of having him show up. Minus the, minus the one part for, for him putting his arm on Aerith or whatever. Every time he's actually shown up, I've been relatively, not just because I like Sethroff or whatever, I feel like it's appropriate for him to show up here. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. Like That's what I'm saying is I feel like they've handled him much better than I was afraid they might. Because And I wanted, just, I wanted to bring that up specifically to give them credit for that since I addressed that as something I was concerned about earlier. Because I guess since we brought him up before we end the episode... The very next thing that happens kind of after you wake up and after you sync up with Barrett and you start walking with, with him and Tifa, Sethroff shows up again and he's basically talking about how Cloud is a failure and all you're trying to do is get stronger and then he just kind of like screws off. But even then, there was something Sephiroth said that goes right back to it because he comments, you didn't do it any better this time, did you? Yes, this time. So that could be talking about something in Cloud's past, or it could be going back to the same idea of like this being some kind of weird time loop or something. You may, where get, your, you may get exactly what you wanted this whole time, Andrew. Every single game is going to only be in Midgar, and it's just going to be a time loop. 
<laughs> I would be so excited. Oh, that would be like Andrew's secret wish that is not a secret at all. Every game is in yes. Midgar. Seth Roth is basically just a ghost the whole time that nobody cares about anymore. And it's all about taking down Shinra. Yes, I would love that. That's a garbage and game. That, and on that wonderful, happy note of me imagining that, that's going to have to do with this <coughs> week's episode of the video games cover to cover. As always, you can find us on Twitter or on our Discord channel or via email. And like always, I will make sure to include the contact information in the episode description. I hate Shinra. 